The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 97. In Japan, they use more paper per year for comics than for toilet paper. That's a lot of manga. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone I promised I'd have back on after he did such an incredible job on episode 83, talking about his life as a U.S. diplomat and telling hilarious travel stories about quote-unquote all-inclusive resorts in Indonesia, one of my best friends since fourth grade and a traveling role model of mine, Nick Hirsch. Nick, thanks for letting me rope you back into one of these. Yeah, no, happy to do it. I regret telling the Indonesia story now, (laughs) since that'll come up every now and then. But yeah, happy to be back. Not only are you a role model of mine, we talked about that in episode 83 of traveling. I'm kind of following in your footsteps a couple years later, but also you're always the person I go to to ask for for good travel books. And that's why I'm super excited to have you on this episode, because usually it's you telling me, hey, you should read this book. And then I just follow along with whatever you do. Yeah. Well, actually, I always thought of you reading more than I did. So I'm happy to have that distinction in your mind. Well, your your mother was the one who was the librarian. So I guess we can really, we'll thank her for getting us into reading. And both me and you have always enjoyed good books, always read a lot. As we mentioned, you know, maybe not the coolest people in the world, but we did like to read. <laughs> so we have some knowledge. I thought that went without saying. <laughs> yeah, anyone listening already knows that. But we do have some knowledge with, with reading, and I've really gotten into travel books. Obviously, the more that I've traveled and, and the more things I've done, I, I really enjoy the genre of travel books. And I know that you've read a bunch as well. So what we're going to do in this episode, and as I always tell people, we have not talked about our list beforehand, so there might be overlap. There might be ones that Nick mentions that I've totally forgot about, things like that. So that always makes it more fun. And what we're going to do is count down our top 20. So Nick has come up with 10. I've come up with 10. And on this episode, what we're going to do is count down from 20 all the way down to 10. So we're going to cut this in two parts because I'm sure, Nick, that we are going to end up talking quite a bit throughout this. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm positive. So guys, we want to know as well what you like. So if you want to get the show notes for this, what we'll do is we'll link up everything that we talked about in this, all the books so that you can go, you can pick up copies. We'll link them up in Amazon, make it really easy for you. You can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash travelbooks1. So the number one. So this is the first part. Number one, you can get that all there. And I should mention too, Nick, I was telling you before we started this podcast, I am so thankful for all the support that people have been giving us. I think that's the only reason I was able to get you back on is I was telling you the amount of downloads we've been getting. I know. It's it's astounding. It really is. Yeah. So thank you all for the support. Basically, every day that I check now, we are breaking a new daily record. So it just keeps building. It keeps building. It keeps building. So thank you, everyone, for all the support, for all the love, for all the... Uh, we're getting a lot of tweets and emails as well for specific topics and specific guests. So that's always helpful with doing five a week. Sometimes we wonder, what are we going to talk about today? So you can send me emails, Trav at Extra Pack of Peanuts. Also, you can tweet us at Pack of Peanuts with any suggestions that you might have. So let's get right into this. But of course, before we actually get into the list, 
we'd be remiss if we didn't mention some <laughs> honorable mentions. I guess just a catch-all, Nick, of ones that we want to talk about, but maybe didn't make it on our list. So yeah, give us a few ones that weren't on your list for whatever reason, but that you liked or that you want to read or things like that. So for me, I have two that sort of fall into this category. One, actually, I'll mention, I have three, I guess, but one I'll mention in, in link with a book that's actually on my list. But Shadow of the Sun is by uh, Richard Kompuczynski. He's basically a Polish journalist who spent a lot of time in Africa. And it's a series of essays, him traveling around Africa sort of from the 60s through the 90s. So it's this post-colonial trip through all of Africa. It's absolutely awesome. The problem is I read it a couple years ago in bits and pieces and have no idea what to really talk about in relation to it. <laughs> you just know you liked it. I remember liking it and that's about it. You know, it's certainly like the 50s through like the 80s, I think in Africa, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, I get the sense that there's just not a, a lot out there or not as much out there as there is for, you know, other places. So I think it's a really sort of cool firsthand account of something that a lot of people weren't talking about at the time. Yeah, that's one that I, I've actually have never heard of that, or obviously I haven't read it then as well. So another one for me to add to my list, I'll jump in. We can kind of go back and forth because I have a lot in here too, and I don't want to just keep talking for hours and hours. There's a few that I think people would assume would be on a best travel book list, and I kind of want to touch on them. One is On the Road by Jack Kerouac, probably the most famous, maybe most popular travel book of all time, I would say. I read it. I, I did enjoy it, but I wasn't blown away like some other people. So I, I don't think it's a bad book, but I know a lot of people probably listening to this are thinking, okay, well, where's On the Road going to come on on Travis's list? It's not going to be on there, guys. So just an honorable mention. Again, I think it, it's worth mentioning. I think it is a good book. I think a lot of people really, really love it. It was, it was unique in its writing. I just didn't think it was as good as, as some of the others on my list, which are funny because I don't know about you, Nick. You might have some classics on there, but there is probably not a single book on my list that you would consider a classic. So I've got these kind of weird ones that people might not have heard about, which I think is good, but no real quote-unquote classics. The closest thing I have to a classic is another one that is on my honorable mention list, and it's The Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain who's one of my favorite authors of all time. You know, he's like sarcastic 100 years before anybody else was really even sarcastic. A, a real role model for you then. Yes, exactly. But it's it's him traveling around Europe in the like the 1860s with a group of people that he didn't really like a whole lot. He was young, so he was just kind of a smartass the entire time. And it's just a really cool look at Europe at that time, but also with this really sort of modern take, you know, on 1860s in Europe. It's it's cool. I'd like to read it again and actually, you know, understand it this time as opposed to just sort of reading it and giggling along like I did in high school. <laughs> you can't really go wrong with Mark Twain. I, I've never read that one. Obviously, I've read some of his stuff. Like you said, though, most of them in high school, so I'm sure I'd have a better appreciation nowadays. Two authors that I, again, thought people might think would be on my list. I'd love to hear your opinions on them. Maybe they're on your list. And if so, that's great. Are Paul Thoreau and Hunter S. Thompson. And... Oh, I didn't even think of Hunter S. Thompson. God. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen quite a bit, guys, I think. Again, kind of these big wigs, right? These big names in the travel writing genre. 
I've read some of Hunter S. Thompson. I started reading Fear and Loathing. I didn't really like it. I don't really like his writing that he did for page two on ESPN.com back in the day or some of the stuff he did, you know, long form stuff for magazines. I just, I never really got into it. Maybe that's because I don't do a lot of drugs. I don't know. To me, it was just, it was just okay. I, I, I really like Hunter S. Thompson. I never would ever think of him as a travel writer, even like the rum diary and like things where he is overseas and sort of observing things from a foreigner's perspective. I really like, but I just, it, it's for him, it's all about like the, the personal journey. And maybe that's what travel writing is about. Yeah. And I think this is, this is an interesting list because you asked me before we got on, like, well, can I include this? Can I include that? Not names of books, but types of books. And I just said, wow, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. But really, travel writing, it, it takes a lot of forms. I mean, sometimes people think of it as guidebooks. Sometimes people think of it as novels. Sometimes people think of it as nonfiction. I mean, there's a lot of types. So it's, there, there are some books on my list that I guess maybe aren't exactly quote-unquote travel books in the truest sense of the word, but I think they, they encapsulate it. Like you kind of mentioned, it, it might be a personal journey. It might be a, something that's happening, a bigger story, but people are traveling within it. So it, we're going to run the gamut here. What do you think about Paul Thoreau? Is, and if he's on your list, we don't have to talk about it. He is on my list, but his book is on my list. He's not really on my list. I'm not a huge fan of him, or at least his style. I have nothing to say about Paul Thoreau as a person. <laughs> You haven't sat down over coffee with him, right? I, I, no, I, not yet anyway. And I, I, the one that I picked, I really liked because of the topic and because of the time, but I don't really like his style. I mean, there's there's a hint of condescension to everything. And I think he knows that. I think it's part of his shtick. But there's a weird like judginess to a lot of his writing that I just don't like as much. I remember when I first started like reading about travel. Like when I first started traveling, I was like, all right, I'm going to get into travel books. Like I like reading, I like travel. This is going to be, and you know, everyone was talking about Paul Thoreau. And I thought, this is great because this guy has written a ton of books. Here I am. And I started reading, I don't even remember the first one I started reading. And I just, I got maybe, you know, 75 to 100 pages in and just thought, yeah, kind of like you, like, well, it's okay, but I don't love it. I felt kind of dry to me. I just, I wasn't into it. So I haven't actually given his stuff a second chance really, but he's not on my list either. Are there some others that you wanted to touch on that, uh, you know, in this honorable mention catch-all category? Yeah, it's, I mean, this actually just popped in my head now and I, you and I could probably have an entire podcast about this series. A lot of my books for travel, I should start with that aren't about travel. I mean, they are, but they're not travel books by any means. I mean, I have a comic book in my top five, for Christ's sake. I, I was wondering. I, I thought that yeah, might make yeah, it you in. you knew it would be there. <laughs> but uh, the early Clive Cussler series, which we both read when we were like, what, 12 or 13? Yeah, basically from 12 to 16, that was all I read. I'm sure he's still writing or that somebody's writing under his name these days. But those early ones, you know, like the swashbuckling stupidity. It's sort of like the Bond movies or the Bond books. I don't know. I think they really capture you at a certain age, you know, and they are going to these really cool, interesting places that you've only read about while not being good pieces of literature that I want to publicly acknowledge having read. I think it is important that, you know, I read them at a time in my life where I was basically just sitting there dreaming about going places. And these books were the best avenue to go there, you know? Yeah, they were perfect books for when you were younger, you know, teenage years, because like you said, you you probably weren't going to read these ones that were more intense. You wanted something that was easy to read, and it made you feel like you were reading, for me, 
grown-up books because they were like always on the bookshelves of grocery stores and stuff. And so it was like this good in-between of like, oh, I'm reading real grown-up books. I'm only 13. In reality, (laughs) they're pretty easy reading, but they were a lot of fun. I mean, we ripped through, I don't know, maybe 10, 12. I don't even know how many of them I read. Basically, all of them up until I was like 18 and (laughs) didn't read them anymore. But they're just fun. They're just fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That that That's interesting. I didn't even think of that. But again, bringing up some past memories. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. I have three more things that I just want to mention. Two are ones that I haven't actually read, but I, I know I would like if I read them, and that's because they had movies. So if you don't want to read them, watch the movies. <laughs> One is The Beach by Alex Garland. So the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. That book is actually really good. I really liked it. Um, I read it maybe 10 years ago and I found it in like a hostel in Italy or something like that. But I really liked the book. It's a little bit more sarcastic than the movie is. Like the movie gets a little preachy towards the end. But as a book, it's I, I loved it. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll have to pick that up because the movie was good. And, and again, this idea of taking you to a place that, I mean, now I've been to the place where the beach where, you know, Maya Bay in Thailand where it was filmed. But it's just a, a really neat movie that I thought would make a good book. And another book or series that I should mention that I've only ever watched the TV series, but I've never read the books, but I know I would like them because I loved the series, were Long Way Round and Long Way Down with Charlie Borman and Ewan McGregor. So I believe those are first on BBC, right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. I've only seen them on Netflix, but yeah. Yeah, and BBC sounds right. they basically tell the story. I, Long Way Round is the first one where Ewan McGregor, you know, the movie star and his buddy Charlie Mo- Borman take motorcycles all the way from, I believe it's London, they start and they go all the way around the world. And it's just a really cool, I think it's broken up into seven hour long TV shows. And then they do Long Way Down where they go from the top of Scotland all the way down to Cape Town, South Africa. So the same thing on motorbikes. And they're just really well produced, really funny, really good shows. And I know that the books, I've heard the books are just as good as the TV shows, but I haven't read them. I was going to ask. So there's actually books related to it as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. I assume that they must have written the books afterwards because they were obviously filming the show as they as they were going. They knew they were going to make this TV show. So I guess they sat down and wrote the books afterwards, um, but I haven't read them. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're good. If you guys have a chance, read the books. If not, you can watch a TV show. I, you, did you watch both of them? Yeah, I, I watched Long Way Around first, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I like, you know, the Russia stuff, as you'll see from my list. And just watching them, uh, you know, what, four of the seven episodes are either Ukraine, Russia, Mongolia, or the Russian Far East. And Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And the last one I'm going to mention with the honorable mention is one that I've started reading. And again, I think he would be, I think I would love his stuff and he might be on your list, but for whatever reason, I've never finished any of his books. And that is Bill Bryson. Oh, I read uh, A Walk in the Woods, maybe. Um, Okay. Yeah. He's sort of, it's it's the same. I mean, I like him. I don't really, it never jumped out of my mind. I think he'd be really good. I think his style I like, the stuff I've read I really liked, especially short articles and all, but I just, for whatever reason, haven't gotten to his book. But I know a lot of people, I mean, he's another big name travel writer. Yeah. And in that category too, I haven't read much of him, but John McPhee, who writes, uh, he writes, I think mostly for like the New Yorker, has some awesome books. And a lot of them, are, I mean, there's some that are very travel focused, but a lot of them are just like him writing about bears in new jersey like out behind his house i mean he makes the familiar sort of wild and fantastic but i really like john mcphee the little bit i've read and marissa loves him so i probably should be talking about him 
Cool. Awesome. Do you have any more that are fitting in this catch-all? Because now we've mentioned, we've already mentioned like 18 books here, but (laughs) anything else? No, I'm good. Okay. So we're ready to jump in. All right. We're ready to jump into the list. Why don't you, since you're the guest here, lead us off with your number 10. Okay. My number 10. So I had a number of books that I sort of came upon in grad school or as an undergrad when I was studying anthropology. So I really got into anthropology because I liked I liked it as a form of travel writing, I guess. And so I studied it as an undergrad and then went to grad school where I realized that it wasn't actually travel writing, but like social theory writing that people were more interested in. So the adventure sort of dropped out in the like dry 19th century French social theory crept in, which kind of sucked. Which is why you then dropped out of your doctorate program. Which is why I quit. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But there were a number of books that sort of bridged the divide between popular writing and like the really dry, boring anthropological work. I was shocked actually how many books I came upon in anthropology that seemed like they would be awesome. Like a a person living in the 1930s amongst some tribe in the middle of nowhere in Africa and then writing about it and then not having it be an interesting book. I I mean, it's amazing how many of these there actually were. So the one that I read that I really liked, and I read this as an undergrad, is called Video Night in Kathmandu. It's by an Indian guy named uh, Pico Iyer who you might have come across, he's, he's been writing for quite some time. But basically, he travels around to 10 different cities in India, Southeast Asia, China, Japan, basically most of like, you know, modern Asia to see how they're, they're internalizing American pop culture, I guess. So he goes and looks at how, you know, in Bombay, they're remaking American movies, but in with an Indian cultural context, uh, he's like goes to Bali, um, interviews yuppies in, in Hong Kong. Um, it's the late 80s, so it feels a little bit dated now, but it's just a really cool look at sort of globalization. And I think he's one of the first people to look at both globalization and travel in the same in the same book. So I, I loved it. I thought it was a really cool book. And again, it's a book I haven't read in a long time, so it might be higher on my list um, than it currently is. But I remember absolutely loving it at the time. Yeah, don't you hate when there's a book out there that you think this is going to be fantastic. Like like the subject matter is really cool and you think it's going to be great. And then you start reading it and it's very dry. Like you said, that dry kind of scholarly feel. I just wish there was people that tied those two together better. Because that happened to me. I, I was reading one. There was like this really cool uh, cover, which always catches me. And it was, it was yeah. a really cool name. I can't remember. It's but always it was, about the pictures, Travis. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any picture books on this one. Yeah. Uh, you have some comics, but... Hey, oh, that's true. You know, it was about drug smuggling. And it was like this really cool cover and, and a really enticing title. I don't exactly remember. And I start reading it. And within 50 pages, it was just so boring. And I thought, man, if someone could just take the information that this person is talking about and actually make it interesting, like this would be a fantastic book. And obviously, that's a hard skill to have. Yeah, Pico uh, or Pico Iyer, Pico Ear. How do you say his? Iyer. 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 Yeah. Anyway, uh, someone that I've always seen come up on list, but never, never actually read. So that's cool. I'll have to check that one out. Speaking of that, I have one. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to ask what your, what your number 10 Yeah, is. my number 10. Well, this is one, I, I believe it was a recommendation from you. And again, it, was, it kind of leads right into this because it was very boring at times, but then it was really thrilling at times. It's the, I should say it's the most boring book on my list. 
But it's also, I couldn't stop reading it because they got really in-depth, and it's called The Tiger by John Valiant. So you, oh, my God. That's my number six book. Okay. You're killing me. Okay. Well, we, we'll, we'll touch more on that when we get to your number six. So we can skip through that. But yeah, you recommended it to me. And again, it's we'll, we'll touch more on it when we get to yours. So why don't you just go right into your number nine then? <laughs> Um, so my number nine is, uh, I might've recommended this to you too, as well. It's called lost Japan. And I read it while I was in Japan. So, you know, that's one of those things that it, it might've made a more personal connection because of where, where I was living at the time, but it's by an American named Alex Kerr or Kerr, K-E-R-R, who, um, grew up living between the U S and Japan a lot. And, um, this is sort of his personal experiences having grown up in Japan and then having moved back as an adult. And a lot of it's pretty cool. Like he looks at Kabuki and a lot of the other sort of old traditional Japanese things. But the part that I loved is he went up into the mountains, pretty close to where I lived actually, and bought this old Japanese sort of rundown farmhouse and totally brought it back. It was the stonewalled thatch roof kind, very, very traditional. He built it from the ground up, made it back into a working farm. Um, and sort of just chronicles his attempts to bring this this place back. And it's it was interesting because no one else in Japan lives in these houses now, as you know. I mean, it's right. all very, very modern. Just finding the people to come and actually be able to help with his roof took him a long time. And, and trying to find the actual old traditional styles and ways of doing things was really difficult, especially as an outsider. So I, I really liked that book. And sort of the, the view it gave of Japan. Well, you just made me think of another one that isn't on my list. So I got to touch on it real quick. This probably would be on my list had I remembered. This is, this is as you said, this is going to happen a lot, I think. Tokyo Vice. Have you ever read that? It's the one by... No. Okay. It's, uh, you'd really like it. It's by Jake Adelstein. He is basically the first American reporter ever to work for the... Um, the major Japanese newspaper there, the Yomiuri Shimbun or Shimbun Yomiuri, however you say yeah. it. And he, you know, he was basically a screw up. He said in America, he went to Japan, he went to school and he started learning Japanese and he had to take the test to become a reporter. And everyone said, there's never been a foreign based reporter because their Japanese has never been good enough, this or that. He, uh, he passed the test, he became a reporter with him and he got in kind of with the Yakuza and he started, which is, if you guys don't know, the Japanese mafia, Japanese mob. And there was one of the higher ups in the Yakuza. He had found out how gone to UCLA, gone to America to get, I believe, like a liver transplant, something that couldn't be done in Japan for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know why it couldn't have been done in Japan, but he had gone there and obviously it was a big deal because he, he was a known gangster and there was no way he should have been allowed in America. So this guy started figuring this out and, um, he just details his, you know, his run-ins with them, how they told him not to write this story, you know, all the things that they told him would happen if he wrote this story. He eventually did write this story and he, he talks about going into hiding and stuff like that. So, you know, wow. some of it might be a little sensationalized. He, he, he claims that it isn't at all, um, which as any good author probably would, but it, it's just a really fascinating tale and he's an interesting guy. And, and obviously he gets a look into the Japanese uh, side of Japan that, not many foreigners ever got to look into. So. Oh, at all? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's called uh, Tokyo Vice by Jake Adelstein. Not my number nine, but you guys should check it out anyway. Um, there's another good <laughs> book about Japan. I'll mention this one real quick too. It's called Speed Tribes, and it's a um, it's a bunch of short stories about Japanese life from different perspectives. So from like a young gangster, from 
I think one's about a geisha. Like they touch on different aspects of Japanese life. I believe it might be fiction. I can't exactly remember, but I remember reading it and um, the stories are pretty quick and that's nice, but you, you kind of get a feel for Japanese life. So w- was that written by an American as well? Uh, Speed Tribes, it was written by a foreigner, whether it was American or not. I can't exactly remember. Uh, Speed Tribes, okay, it's by Carl Taro Greenfield. So some sort of, it might be British. I, mean, I can't really remember, but all right. Well, there you go. So some extra books for you guys. <laughs> and we'll link all these up so you don't have to remember them all. My number nine, my actual number nine, Nick, is the one that I I actually just finished this book recently. So it's the newest one that I've read. And it's called The Ridiculous Race. And it's by Steve Healy and Valley Chandra Sakharan. I should probably learn to pronounce this name because you're actually going to be coming on the podcast soon. Um, yes. <laughs> so I will learn to pronounce his name, I promise, before he comes on. Interesting fact about Valley, he is from a small town in northern Pennsylvania, right next to where Heather grew up. So, oh, cool. Yeah, very interesting. But this is a funny, this is the funniest book on my list. And what it basically is, is these two guys, they're comedy writers. They write for like The Late Show with David Letterman or My Name is Earl, one of them wrote for. So they, they write for these comedies in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, and they decide that they want to try to travel around the world without using airplanes. And and it's a race. So they race each other around the world. One starts going west and one starts going east. And they just document their time going around. And I think the... That's awesome. Yeah, the winner gets like this really expensive bottle of scotch. So they're r- racing around <laughs> for nothing, really, except this bottle of scotch. And, you know, it sounds goofy. If anyone's ever seen the movie, the what was it? The Rat Race, which is a pretty funny movie. This is this was just a good book and they're really funny. Like I, I find it very hard when I write to be funny in my writing. It's hard to come across that way. Maybe I'm just not funny. I mean, you can tell me. That's, uh, that. that's yeah. <laughs> that could I, be the I, issue. I won't comment. <laughs> but just really, really interesting. Again, just a fun, easy story to tell. But they do some goofy stuff and um, they'll be coming on the podcast to talk about the book, which will be interesting. But uh, just an easy, light read, but really funny and, and um, they do some they do some cool stuff while they go around the world. That's that's awesome. I actually read or I started reading and I ne- never finished a book similar to that by Seth Stevenson, who wrote for uh, Slate for a long time. I think he still might be there. But it's the same kind of concept minus the race part where he and his girlfriend travel around the world without taking a plane. Ah, I forget the name of it. Um, but it was just really cool, really funny. It's the same kind of thing, like a light, interesting read. But I think I was so into it because of the, the same thing. Like, it just sounds like such an awesome adventure. The book's called Grounded. Okay, Grounded. Um, it came out a couple years ago. Yeah, very cool. But yeah, it's, it's, I like those ideas. Anyway. Yeah, and what's neat about this one is they, they're both writing, so it'll be, you know, it'll flip back and forth kind of chronologically, like Steve will write four or five parts in a row, and then v- Valley will come in and write like four or five. So it, it's, you can tell their styles are a little different. They're both funny, but you can tell who's writing, which is interesting because not a lot of books do that. And I should mention the reason I picked it up was because on the back of the book, you know, on the back of books, people don't write their own like praises. Like it's all like Boston yeah, Globe blurbs. says, da, 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 da. Right. well, they actually just wrote their own and they said, not many people write this, but we're going to do it. And that kind of drew me in. And I thought, hey, these guys are pretty funny right off the bat. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Just a little bit of snark. Yeah. So, all right, get to your number eight now. So my number eight is actually... It's sort of a reaction to a lot of people's favorite travel books. So I hope this isn't on your list. But um, at least when I joined the Foreign Service, everyone was like, oh, my God, that book, Shantaram, is the greatest book I've ever read. <laughs> you told and me to read that book. 
Yeah, and did I was I laughing when I asked you to read? <laughs> maybe, that book? maybe. Is that are we going to talk about this? Book no, in a it's not minutes? on my list. For those of you who don't know, Shantaram's uh, it's sort of a fictionalized autobiography, and I think it's more fiction than autobiography. But it's written by Gregory David Roberts, who was an Australian who lived in Bombay in the 80s and 90s, and actually who still lives there now, although now he lives in the Four Seasons Hotel. So it's not quite as uh, hard <laughs> as it was up then. In the world. Right, and. It, it's this book where, you know, he claims to have escaped prison in Australia and moved to Bombay um, on fake papers and then like gets in with people living in a slum and he lives there. And then like through this very convoluted story, he gets into the uh, the Bombay underworld and then ends up like running guns into Afghanistan in the 80s. I mean, it was there's a couple leaps in logic there. And I read it and I didn't dislike it at the time, but certainly after I lived in Bombay, it just struck me as sort of like this disingenuous romanticization of, you know, what is in actuality an exceptionally hard life. And he doesn't really shirk from how hard the life is, but he does really, you know, I guess make it seem like there's something noble to it when I think most people living there would would kind of disagree to a certain extent. Yeah, I would bet that most people living that type of life would disagree with it. I mean, I was only in Mumbai for like eight days or six days and I knew how hard it was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I sort of resent him taking that approach to writing about, about living in the slums of Bombay. That said, a book that I really like, and that's number eight on my list, is Behind the Beautiful Forevers by Catherine Boo, where she chronicles life in a, in a Bombay slum. While not exactly like ethnography, I mean, she's not living there. I think it's a much more accurate portrayal. And by chronicling the actual hardships that these people go through, I mean, and it's astounding, like the lives these people lead. And, you know, I think the main family she follows are trash pickers or trash sorters. So they'll have people bring trash to them at their house in the slum, and then they'll sort through it and then exchange it for, you know, cents at the recycling plant, basically. And just the horrible things that happen with illness and like children getting attacked by rats and all of this just horrendous stuff. But it is, I think, while being depressing, a very accurate portrayal of life there. And it is, it's humanizing in a way that Shantaram just isn't. Um, Shantaram sort of fictionalizes reality where I think this is a really just good, straightforward take on life there. So while it wouldn't make you necessarily want to travel to Bombay, it's a really cool picture of, of life there. And I was impressed too by how there is so much hope there. And, and I read this before I went to Bombay. You know, many of the slums there, I mean, and that's what they call them, are these thriving little cities of, you know, with their own economies and everything else. So it is really cool to see that and to read it. So I love that book. Well, there you go. Yeah. And if you have read Shantaram and if you liked Shantaram, maybe give this a try as well, because <laughs> I'm with you. I think there's a lot of books out there that romanticize certain things. My number eight actually kind of falls in line with that. I actually haven't read Shantaram. That's the, it's really, really long, right? Like we're talking yeah, 800 like pages. Yeah, a thousand pages or something like that. Okay, yeah. I, I actually haven't read it. My cousin loved it and she always wanted me to read it. And I just, I'd pick it up and then I'd think, eh, I'm not going to read this. So, all right, really cool. My number eight, as I mentioned though, romanticizes kind of this lifestyle, not romanticizes it, but it's called Escape by David McMillan. And I am a... I am a sucker for these types of books. I always love them. It's it's about a guy, David McMillan. He was a he got caught smuggling drugs out of Bangkok, 
and he was thrown into Klong Prem prison, which is the famous prison um, known as the Bangkok Hilton, basically. And it's infamous for being one of the worst prisons in the world. And, you know, all the books that people have written about escaping from these Southeast Asia prisons say, you know, this is the worst, that's the worst. Yeah, I'm sure they're all pretty, pretty dire. Yeah, I don't think any of them really, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, all, they're all pretty hard. We're talking relatively here. It's going to be pretty awful. And he is the first person, I believe. Now, maybe either the first person or the first foreigner. I can't exactly remember. It says it right on the cover, though. So if you see it, you'll know (laughs) to escape from this prison. And again, I'm a sucker for these type of stories. I like these kind of true, I guess you'd call them nonfiction. I mean, this is nonfiction, but I kind of like true sensationalized books. And and he talks about his time in the prison, everything that went on and all this stuff. And it's it's kind of a cool look into something like that. Obviously, you'd never want to be there yourself, um, but a cool look into that. And then he talks about his escape and how he escaped. So just the overall story of him escaping and, and the thing. I just... I liked it. I enjoyed it. I've read a few other ones. There's there's probably there's probably more out there than I know, but there's probably four or five out there that if you go on Amazon, you know, for escape Nick and it's like you might also like and yeah. they give you like five other people who have escaped from these different prisons. I've read basically <laughs> and they all wrote Yeah, books. I've read all of them. Uh this was my favorite one. So Escape by David McMillan is is my number 8. And actually, that uh, now this is bringing up things that I totally should have had on my list. But Papillon is one of my favorite books of all time. And it's not really, again, it's not really travel, but it's, and there's a movie with Steve McQueen in the 60s then. But it follows a guy uh, sent to prison from France, um, sent to French Guiana. And basically, you know, these are like the most hellacious prisons in the 1930s. And he's living out in the jungle and cutting down logs and like doing these horrendous, like, you know, sort of menial labor things for for the French prison colony. And then they, you know, the prisons themselves are horrendous. And he escapes three or four different times over like 20 or 30 years. And every time he gets caught and gets dragged back. And eventually they put him on an island penal colony that's like 20 miles off the coast. And they don't even really have guards there because it's so hard to escape. And he builds a raft and like sails to the mainland and escapes that way and then wrote a book about it in the 70s. It was an awesome book. So Papillon will be on. It's it, it's squeezing into your list now. It, it, yes, no. Um, it, it's not officially on my list. Um, <laughs> but that said, it's funny how there's like this whole genre of prison escape books, and every single one acts like there's no other book that has ever been written about prison escape. You know, like from the one man who managed to escape this horrible prison. Right. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I find that funny. I guess that's the only way you can really sell a prison escape book is by well, acting like there's no other ones. Right. And I guess if you've done it, obviously it seems pretty crazy. I mean, it is pretty crazy. I shouldn't say it seems pretty crazy. So if you've done it, you're probably thinking this is a huge deal and it is, but other, yeah, you're not the only one. There have been other people who have done it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Papillon, I'll have to check that one out. I've heard a lot about it. Never read it. It's a, you can watch the movie too. I mean, really that's, it would save you a lot of time. <laughs> Cool. Well, what's your number seven? So my number seven is actually, um, it's a Paul Thoreau book. Um, It's the only one I've read. And I've already mentioned my feelings on his style, but I loved the topic itself, uh, the Pillars of Hercules. So basically, he starts in Spain and travels the whole way around the Mediterranean to come back to Morocco. So the Pillars of Hercules are the, the sort of two sides of the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, and he travels by land the whole way around. I think it's the early to mid nineties. Um, I really envy his travel style, getting back to what we talked about on, our, on the last podcast, where he just, he knows he wants to go to these places, but he has no plans or idea of how he's going to do it. 
So he just, you know, gets on a train and ends up here or gets on a boat and gets off here. It's really cool. Uh, it's one of those books that's like a thousand pages long. So I bought it and it just sat on my shelf for a long time. And then I finally opened it and read it and loved it. So he goes to like all of my favorite places on earth too. So he's in a, Albania and Croatia and Corsica. He spends a lot of time in Turkey. And while there is this sort of judginess and this condescension running throughout the book, particularly in Albania, I guess it was the early 90s. So it was right after they'd opened up. And literally, he's one of the first foreigners to get to go to Albania in 40 years. And he's just really like, this is the dirtiest place with the most miserable people on earth. I mean, he, he doesn't really hold his punches at all. Does that book start with him in Gibraltar? Do you know? Yes. Okay, yeah. well, then that's the one, and maybe it was your recommendation that I picked up the one Paul Thoreau one I picked up and started. And again, like, it's funny because I, I mentioned at the top of the show, like, I, I didn't like it. I didn't keep reading it, except I remember it very vividly. Like, it's interesting because I remember him and Gibraltar and him talking about Gibraltar. And I remember it so vividly that when we were just in Spain, we went to Gibraltar just because I was, I was, remembering what he wrote and how he wrote it. And I thought, I have to go here. So in a weird way, I, I didn't like it or I didn't keep reading the book, but it stuck with me much more than, you know, we've probably read hundreds of books. And yet I remember that singular part that he wrote. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I have to give it a second chance, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, he's, he's a very evocative writer. Um, and I mean, maybe part of his shtick is to sort of you know, goad you into continuing to read through this condescension or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but on the one hand, it's really cool because he's going to Croatia and Albania um, and these places that are just opening up. I mean, it's the early nineties. So they're just sort of opening up to the West again after, you know, decades of, of being closed off. And then at the same time, later in the book, he's going to Syria, which is a place that, you know, we can't really travel to at all now. Um, so it's just this really cool look at, the Mediterranean in the, in the early nineties. Um, and I, I just found it fascinating. And then he does sort of get into like the day-to-day -day life in a really interesting way. And he took like a Turkish cruise ship around the coast of Turkey. And while not really talking about what he saw in Turkey, he talks about the Turks that were on the boat with him in hilarious detail. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. And sometimes the judginess actually ends up being funny. So you can take it. That's funny that that was the one that I, I looked at. Maybe it, maybe it was a recommendation for you. I don't remember, but I'll have to give it another shot because, um, yeah, I do remember that, that part of it. And I remember it being very descriptive and, and sticking with me all those years. So my number it's seven, yeah, my number seven is, I don't think you've read this. I don't know. I, I might've recommended it to you. Um, and I read it right when it came out. And I don't remember how I found it, but it was probably on one of those. Hey, this is a new book. And I checked it out. It was called The Lost City of Z by David Grant. Have you read that one, Nick? No, I don't think I've heard of it. Okay. Well, he, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing him yesterday. I don't know when his show oh, is going to cool. come out, but a really cool guy. He's a staff writer for The New Yorker, and this was his first book. And basically, he wrote a piece for The New Yorker about this, and then they turned it into a book. And now it's actually becoming a movie um, with that guy, Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the oh, Sherlock, yeah. whoever Sherlock yeah. is. Um, I think I said his name right. Percy Fawcett was one of like the last great kind of Victorian explorers. And he went into the Amazon jungle in the 1920s and he was looking for this lost city, the city they're calling, you know, the lost city of Z. You know, he went in with his son and he went in with his son's friend and they were these, you know, they were the biggest, best explorers of that time. Um, yeah. One of the most famous of all time. And 
he disappeared. And no one, you know, there have been hundreds of people who have tried to go and retrace his steps and, and find him and find the city of Z, and no one's been able to do it. And so this guy, David Grant, who self-admittedly, as he said in the interview, he's like pudgy, out of shape. Uh, he lives in New York. He's balding. He, he kind of looks like John Lovitz a little bit, you know, in, in a nice way, in a good way. But he just, he, yeah. he decided to take on this challenge that other people had done and, and disappeared and got captured. And so he tells the story of how he's able to get close to Percy Fawcett's family. I believe it was his great-granddaughter, maybe granddaughter, who had all his old journal stuff that no one had ever seen. So he gets these, and he's able to recreate the steps, and he tells the story from his own view of going through the Amazon and, and dealing with all these indigenous people that you know haven't seen a lot of white people and certainly hadn't seen any white people in 1925 when Percy Fawcett came through. So just a really cool tale. I'm not going to ruin it and tell you like if he finds him or doesn't find him or anything like that, but a really well-written book and and he just has a an eye for telling a story through his own lens but but also broadening it and kind of telling Fawcett's story and the story of the area as well and the people of the area very well so uh really really cool book for sure that's awesome actually i hadn't even heard of that i'm gonna look into that one that sounds cool yeah yeah for sure and what i think we should do so we're we've given you eight now why don't we cut this episode here, Nick? Because we, we gave a lot during honorable mention. So for, for That's brevity's true. sake and for, for making the episodes kind of line up time wise, what we'll do is, you know, we've given you your, our favorite travel books and you guys already know Nick's number six because he kind of mentioned it. So <laughs> we'll lead in the next episode with that. So there are our favorite travel books, numbers 20, through, I guess, what would be 13. <laughs> had I'm to a do major actually counting this. Yeah, yeah, I had to do the math there. 20 through 13. And what we're going to do is we'll be coming back tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this in the future, you can just roll right into the next episode of our top 12 travel books, 12 to number one. Again, we want to know, guys, what your favorite travel books are. So if you want to get the show notes or any books that we mentioned here, and we'll link them all up. We'll link everyone we mentioned, even the ones that we said we didn't like that much. We'll link them to <laughs> extrapackofpeanuts.com slash travel books. Again, we thank you for all the support for listening today. I thank Nick, of course, for coming on. We're going to go right into the next episode here. But thank you guys for the support. Really appreciate it. Tons of reviews coming in. Like I said, the downloads are great. And if you have show topics, for sure, let me know, Trav, at Extra Pack of Peanuts, or you can tweet us at Pack of Peanuts. We'd love to do some other shows that you specifically want us to do. So that's all we got for today. And until tomorrow, happy free travels.